Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Right, tonight, just um, just one touch on a few things. Um, one is that next Wednesday we won't be here unless you are a, um, a something le- operational leader. That's the guys who lead the different departments, you know, kids and stewarding and all that stuff. Uh, we'll be together next Wednesday, so for those of you who are not part of that group, you've got, you've got one off um, Wednesday. Um, that is a bit of a precursor, of course, to a week Saturday when, um, you know, I talked about having an in-reach, uh, which really means that what we're wanting to do is, is um, out of our evaluations of where we are and where we believe God is leading us and what needs to occur, that's what we intend to share on the, um, uh, on the sat- Saturday after next, the 1st of October. Um, so, so come prepared for that. We're just laying out, laying out where we are and the spirit of where we are and what we've learned so far about how we need to approach it. Um, also in line with that, we, we will be beginning the Wednesday after that to relook at this in a slightly different way in that we're trying to make uh, a clearer distinction between our Saturday and Wednesday. Um, and we intend to call this the lab because got nothing to do with Labradors, okay? Um, because we do want it to be a place where uh, those who dare to explore scripture history, church history, truth, um, Jesus, God, um, what all these things mean in our lives, we, we want to get, again, uh, re- realign our focus to that so that uh, that becomes the, the melting pot um, in, in the rock of, of all the things that we're wrestling with that, that uh, we hope then will emanate out you know, into the city and into people. And we've learned a lot of stuff, but we've been in transition. But I think we are, uh, we're in a good place and, uh, and uh, uh, we're going to move on to the next phase. Uh, it's been really interesting uh, reading about some people who I have respect for in various um, streams that the same thing that has happened to us over the last uh, two or three years um, happened to them in exactly the same way. So, for example, Paul Scanlon, who I admire Paul greatly, obviously he, he handed over the leadership to Charlotte, um, his daughter. Um, but when Paul started engaging with some new thinking over at Bradford, uh, what was Abundant Life then, um, half of the people left. So out of 600 people, 300 people left. And it was that way for almost three years in Bradford until they began to reestablish another direction, which, of course, is in Paul's book, Crossing Over. But you can read all that in, um, you know, there are several interviews. There's an interview with, I forget, the Christian Radio. There's one online, you can read it, where Paul talks about all that and... Um, how distressed he was at times that people who had been with them in the church from, from way back, the Bryn Jones days when they moved, uh, were people who 
then didn't go and wouldn't go with, with the crossing over and where they were heading as a people and, and their belief and function. I said, thankfully, by the grace of God, we made a decision that, that um, whoever came back when they realized it wasn't as crazy as they thought, that we would receive them with grace and welcome them. And, and, and that happened. Not everybody came back. Um, so what you see of, of Bradford today wasn't always that. It, it began with several years of, of, a, of a disappearing congregation as, they, as Paul sought to have them wrestle with some different perspectives on truth. I've uh, also been reading, there's a gentleman by the name of Brian Zand who, for those of you who remember what the Jesus movement was, um, when all the hippie thing was going on in the 60s and 70s, flower power and all that stuff and flares that are coming back and flowery tops all. Um, in, in, in balance to the, the hippie revolution, there was a um, what was called the Jesus movement or the Jesus revolution where a lot of these kids, you know, in their flip-flops and, and, and you know, ripped T-shirts, um, actually, rather than finding their solace in, in, in drugs and, and um, you know, kind of illicit behavior, um, actually encountered Jesus in a very real way. And um, so ministries sprung up out of that. And this Brian Zand was one of those guys. He never set out to lead a church, but he came to Jesus or Jesus found him it's probably a better way of putting it, and he would put it that way. Jesus found him in the middle of all this stuff. Uh, wasn't from a church background. Uh, changed his life, and he just began, you know, people hung out then. It was kind of the hip thing to do. You hung out, you know. And for those of you who know what a beanbag is now, beanbag started then, okay, because you just hung out. And it wasn't hip to sit in a chair. So somebody said, I know what we'll do. We'll fill a bag with beans and sit on that. You know, like somehow that was an advancement in evolution to the chair. You know, we'll sit on beanbags. Or we'll just sit on the floor because we're countercultural. It was a very weird time. Uh, but Brian Zand really just, he just started talking. Of course, the hip thing then as well was you opened a coffee bar. That was the hip thing, right? Um, we had them in York, you know, where the, where the old, um, where the uh, thing for the age people now, which I'm, I could probably go now, down in town, uh, there was a, what did we call it? Saint, yeah, no, it was, it was the one round the corner on, uh, yeah, and it, it's, now, it's now a place for elderly people to go, and there was a coffee bar in there, way back in the 60s, 70s, and I'm trying to think what it was called. It doesn't matter anyway, it's that, but anyway, um, Brian Zand did that. I had no intention of starting a church because some people started hanging out and they drunk coffee and they talked and they taught Bible. And, uh, you know, he, he really then found himself, you know, the group was growing. They were looking for somebody had to lead the group and he just by default finished up leading the group. And this very organic thing grew up and, and actually grew to, to about 2,000 people over, over about 17, 18 years. Um, but then Brian, Brian had, a, had a real experience start in his life about 12 years ago. And um, uh, it, it, when you read his book, you realize that what he began to wrestle with are the exact same things that we've been wrestling with, that Chris and I have been wrestling with, the same questions, the same issues. Realized that he'd become very institutionalized and he was, he was really at the center of, of evangelical, you know, um, megachurch 
thing then, you know, speaking at conferences and what have you. But he said, I was just getting more and more sick of it. He said, just, it was just... And so he took himself away and he had an encounter, a real encounter with God. And, and out of what God spoke to him, um, he came to different conclusions about the true nature of God, about Jesus, about the gospel. Um, all very sound, but just not what the title we've used often is, is mainstream uh, or common narrative. Um, and so Brian, full of beans, you know, full of excitement, goes and tells the the church, I've had an encounter with God. This is what I've learned, and these are the things that I now no longer really um, give assent to, and my understanding of Jesus and the gospel has changed, and I love him, and we're going to push this forward. Um, and he lost a thousand people, um, which they've never recovered back to that. He still has a, over a thousand people in his church, but same thing happened on the journey. Um, when Rob Bell released Love Wins, um, 3,000 people left the church in a week. So I'm not saying this that, you know, these are ways to try and justify uh, what Bryn Jones, who some of you will know Bryn Jones was. Bryn Jones was the founding pastor of the church that is now Life Church in Bradford um, back in the 70s. And Bryn Jones once said to a friend of mine, David Shearman, he said, David, he said, I've been in all spheres. He said, you know, I've seen, we started there, we grew to 600. He said, I went over to America, and we grew several things to 1,000. I came back here full of myself, he said, and uh, gathered some people together, and God allowed us, you know, we had 300, but then God allowed us to grow to 50. <laughs> he said to David, but it was all growth. So this is not a justification for um, when people leave us. This is an expression that when you're on a journey, it can happen and we're not the only people because sometimes we can feel like Elijah and say, oh, it's just, it's just me, I'm the only one that this is happening to. But as I've looked at these people on a similar journey to us, a similar pattern has occurred in their, in their process. Now... That's not derogatory to anybody who leaves any more than it is, you know, ultra, ultra supportive of anybody who stays. It just is what it is. And I think sometimes it's good to hear those things because you can start to feel a little isolated and think, well, you know, we've gone down from where we were. Well, there's others that have gone down. But let's also look and say, yeah, and they came up from where they were as well. So people like Brian grew from 2,000 to 1,000 and then grew to another number. And people like Paul Scanlon, Paul, you know, grew from 600 to 300 and then, you know, grown close to 3,000. So, so these things are happening. I just want us to keep faith, keep encouraging one another, keep believing. Because like anything, if we become absorbed fully in our own situation and begin to evaluate that, the conclusions we draw uh, can sometimes be faithless conclusions that don't recognize, um, you know, you, you could have argued children of Israel, well, a whole generation has died in the desert, so God's obviously not with us. Um, but they grew out of a generation for reasons and grew into another generation for reasons and there was blessing. So all I'm concerned about is that all of it is growth, okay? That all of it is growth, that we actually are growing to what we are supposed to be in, in God, 
by the call on our lives. And, um, you know, the story, the story will go on. The story is going on. I've got 25 years in senior leadership invested in this. And I've told you before the stories of how I believe God supernaturally brought my family to this city. How remarkably my life has been somehow moved along by an invisible hand um, that has brought me also to this day. Um, and the, the, the things that have happened in our life have been, have been, even when it seemed that the enemy might have intended them for evil, God has turned them to our good. So, so we continue in that and hopefully we continue together. So I wanted to share that just as a, a, a little premise because we're trying to encourage you that we want to, we want to relaunch into the next phase of this with some faith and some hope in our hearts um, and some love for the people um, in the midst of all the, all the encouragement that's happening. Uh, one little thing that I thought was wonderful, um, Beth, Beth um, uh, was told about some funding available, so she, long story short, she you know, put a hat in the ring and, um, uh, and, and has been successful, so we've got some funding for, for our youth work in the same way that we've finished up because of the work with the kids and the PCOs, we've finished up with a, a brand new football cage and all kinds of stuff. It's all favour, it's good. Uh, what, what really blessed me was, Beth was just telling me tonight that at the committee, of course, Beth, Beth couldn't be there, and then they said, well, it's probably best if you're not, because we're kind of discussing your thing. What was interesting is the people at the committee who stood on our behalf and who recommended us. One of them, I don't know if you remember who John Atom was. John, was it, is it Atom? John Atom. John, John came here years ago from Christchurch, which is going way back, Pete and Jan found their way here from Christchurch. John came in with some lads, two lads who used to sit over here every time, uh, Edward and, can't remember the other boy, Ian. And, uh, you know, then John's, John's life moved on and various things and went off to union, what have you. But, but John's on this committee now because he's a teacher there in, uh, in Clifton. And, uh, and, and John stood up and threw his hat in the ring and, uh, and talked about how great it was uh, who we were and what we were pursuing and what we were doing and how great Beth was and and uh, really pushed the thing in the direction. So even things like that, some of people who are not necessarily fellowshipping with us now beginning to emerge to speak on our behalf and, and say some good things and, and that's wonderful. And I met today with, um, uh, with the chair of Churches Together in York, which is a different organisation to One Voice and... Uh, they're going to have their annual general meeting here in uh, it October, isn't it? This next month. Uh, a very good meeting with those guys. And, and they are, there have been, I've told you before, there's some kind of not nice rumours been put around uh, the city and the area about us. But these guys are all lining up, uh, all lining up with us and for us and excited and, and thrilled. And uh, what's really funny, this is just hilarious, is... Uh, a bunch of those are old, older ministers. You know, I'm not a chicken, but I'm pretty young compared to some of them. Uh, however, I am the longest serving in the city, you know. Um, but um, so it's like it's chalk and cheese. But, but these guys are kind of coming out of the woodwork, just excited and thrilled about who we are and being unwilling to, to, to believe the rumours, because finally some of these guys have stood up and said, 
can you substantiate the accusations that you're bringing? And, and they can't, so they're saying, well, in that case, it's just rumour and we won't accept it. So we're with these guys. So that to me is like, uh, that's just, it's weird. It's really, it is weird. So these are Catholics, uh, uh, some Anglicans, guy from around the corner here, the people across here, Methodist, um, Presbyterian. It's like, it's just, you... Um, you would not have guessed it, okay? It would have, if I'd have said, put money on who we're likely to get some linkage with, you wouldn't, you'd have thought, oh, that's, I'm going to lose my money if I bet on that. So I find it fascinating um, how God is working within all this um, and how God is helping us and where, where honour and kindness is actually coming from. So we're going to do our best to work with those those guys and, and be an encouragement to them and they also to us so you know they'll be coming here in a, a few weeks and we'll we'll see how we go we'll let you know what uh, let you know what the deal is there so um what i wanted to talk to you about just just for a few minutes i don't really want to get deep theologically because you know this is kind of we're kind of winding up uh, one process of things so that we can move into another another thing but i wanted to talk to you about the significance of signposts. Um, and I've already really been laying a little foundation for that, the significance of signposts. Um, because they are important, you know. Um, uh, signposts mark the way to a destination, but in themselves they only provide direction. So signposts don't give you the destination, they just, they just point you in the direction. And um, what has been happening prophetically for, for quite some time now, and it's intensifying, is events and occurrences that I would call signposts, they are, they are pointing in a direction. And the direction the pointing is, is that God is leading us somewhere, and we have been being led, and we are on a track and we're on a path and that path goes somewhere and we are really being encouraged to stay the course, okay? To stay the course. Not take our hand off the plough, but to stay the course because signposts are wonderful things because you can be driving for miles and you think, where am I? And then you see a signpost, you know? And it says, you know, it, it's that way and, of course, one of the other things you get from a signpost is, is they tell you which way to go and usually the distance yet to be travelled. You know, so it'll say, like, you know, uh, uh, Strensel, seven miles. So they don't, they don't contribute anything to getting you there. So bear that in mind. And likewise, prophetic spiritual signposts, things that happen that really you can say, huh, that really just fits. That's just pointing us in a direction. Just like signposts by the road, they don't normally provide assistance to where you're going. They just provide guidance, okay? So, so it, doesn't take, it doesn't take the effort, in our case, the faith, the trust, the belief, which are all very important, it doesn't take those out of the equation. Um, all it does is it actually gives you guidance. It gives you the guidance and says, okay, if you'll keep going, if you'll keep pressing on, this signpost is telling you that so many miles down there, you will reach this. And I, I believe that's happening in our lives, and I'll, I'll give you some more examples of that um, in a moment. Um, 
In, in the context of signposts as well, people can be a distraction. You know, so if you're chattering away, how many times in the car, before we had sat-navs, and I'll talk about that in a moment, you were chattering away, and you missed the signpost. Um, and uh, I remember, I, remember um, uh, I think it was Derek Prince one time, a guy called Derek Prince, talking about, about the end times. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't agree with the conclusions um, now on that, but within it, some wonderful points. He talked about, um, really, signposts heading towards the end times, the end of the world. Um, I have different views on that. Now, Vicky and I were talking about linear time last night, and what happens if you take the two ends and join them together? You have to read everything differently. Um, but what he said was, you know, when there's a signpost coming, it tells you that your turn-off is in, you know, it, it's, it's, in, it's in a mile, you know, it's in a half a mile, three, two, one... Uh, and if you get distracted on that motorway and you miss that turn off, you can't turn off until the next legal exit. So the point he was making is that if we don't read the signs, uh, if we get distracted and we, we miss the signs, we can probably still get to where we need to go, but you just can't get off the road like, oh, we'll just turn off now, we'll just go that way now. You have to actually follow the signs and when the signs are saying, this is the way, you need to go that way so you're not wasting time going, you know, 14 miles further down the road and then 14 miles back to get off again. Um, so, so people can be a distraction in, in the context of, of road signs normally. And, and people can be a distraction in the context of when, when God is putting signposts up for us. You know, sometimes our doubt, our unbelief, just sometimes... Lack of love, lack of support for one another can mean that we, we get so absorbed with people's opinions that we miss the signposts. We don't, we don't watch the signposts. We don't obey the signposts. Um, and, uh, you know, the Bible says several things about, about us not being men-pleasers. Uh, because we can tend to be that. We, we all like approval. I like approval. We all like approval. We like to think everybody's agreeing with what we're saying and loving what we're doing. Uh, the trouble is that can be a distraction to following the signs because then we're trying to do things that give us approval um, when, when the Bible, again, I won't quote all the scriptures, really saying don't seek the approval of men. What you need is the approval of God. You need God to say this is the way you go in it. And uh, a wonderful scripture that says and don't be afraid of their faces. Um, and always remember, um, I don't spend a lot of time in a congregation now, but just remember that, that faces can convey all kinds of things, right? It can make us look disinterested when we're very interested. You know, it can make us look sarcastic when we're actually accepting. That's why in customer service, they are taught, do it with a smile, Okay. What you do, you do it with a smile because you're representing the company. And what they've realized is that what we portray through our faces has a massive impact. Um, it, it's true in child psychology um, that when you have a soft face and you smile a lot at a child, that child has been shown psychologically to be a much happier child 
because the child feels something from you that is approval. If you're neutral, children, even though they can't explain it, respond negatively to neutral expression to a baby. They respond negatively in their, in their psyche. It affects their development because our faces as well as our words are also important. So, so there's a lesson for congregational practice, right? Even if you're not interested, look as though you are, right? Um, also kind of just spreading that thought a little bit. What you see can be a distraction as well. Um, I, as someone who spends most of my church life on, on this side of the divide, um, uh, it, when you watch your congregation get smaller, that, that can be a very disheartening, dispiriting thing to the point of where you actually have days where you think, I just need to quit. I can't do this anymore because it, what it does, and really, yeah, that's, that's self-centered. It, it's, um, it's self-pity. Um, you know, and there's not really an excuse for it, although it's very real because we're human. Um, uh, what you realize is that, is that what you see can be a tremendous distraction to the signs that God has given us, okay? So, so we actually, we, we, don't see, we don't see the miracle ahead. We see the problem unmovable. We see the mountain can't be shifted. And uh, if, if one spends too much time for all of us um, looking at the circumstances, that most often will drain your faith. Uh, you will then have to find reasons why this thing cannot happen rather than believing God that it can to justify our position. So, so also, um, uh, what we see can be a tremendous distraction to sign. So, so we have to take, you know, God, God said to Abraham, when Ab- we was telling Abraham, you know, you're going to be the father of nations and he hadn't got any kids, okay? Um, and he, he, he's been told, I'll give you a land. And he's just, he just thought he was being really kind with his nephew Lot. You know, said to Lot, well, you know, there's too many of your herds and shepherds and my herds and shepherds. So, you know, we should separate. Uh, but you choose. You know, it's the nice, you choose. And then, of course, when Abraham saw what Lot chose, I, I, I think he probably thought I wasn't the brightest idea I've ever had. Because it says Lot chose the fertile plains. So Abraham, Abraham's left with basically desert scrub and wilderness. And, and, and when you read it, what it says, this is what God says to him. Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are. Okay, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look. And, and, and basically what you see, I'll give, it to, I'll give you what you can see. So this, this idea of lifting up our eyes, um, not being oblivious to reality, because that, that's never wise. That's called lying to yourself. But, but when we've observed and lifting our eyes and seeing beyond what we have to what God is wanting to give us, that's where faith starts to rise. Lift up your eyes from where you are, is what God said to Abraham. And all the land that you see, all of it, look north, look south, look east, the west, and everything that you see, I will give it to you. So I think sometimes when we are too observant of 
what we can see, it's detrimental to the signs that we're actually um, are occurring on our, our path. And then, because we don't see far enough, we only get as far as we see, if you see what I mean. And the word to Abraham was, look, north, south, east, west, and whatever you see, you can have. So I also have an encouragement to you that, that don't be distracted by the stuff because the word of God is still to the children of Abraham. Whatever you see, I'll give that to you. So I want us to be a people that, that are, are mature enough to see beyond this and say, actually, this, this, is not, this is not the end of the story. This is just part of the story that God is blessing us and God is going to bless us. So, so uh, satnavs, yeah. What I put here is they are a modern invention that can be helpful, but only when they're not possessed of the devil. <laughs> now, I am, I am convinced that satnav is, is, is short for Satan navigation. Because <laughs> that's what it seems to be at times. Now, of course, on the other hand, you know, Chris will say, well, you put that in the satnav, you said you wanted the satnav to tell you, and then you, I argue with the satnav. <laughs> We have, a, we have quite a good argument. Um, yeah, Susan and Richard. We have Susan on the English one and Richard on the American maps. <laughs> so me and Susan have an argument. Um, yeah, so it uh, can be helpful. And um, I think to some degree we have a navigation system within us that can be helpful, but it can also be possessed of the devil just like... Just like your satnavs, you know, we, we, have to, we have to know what spirit we are of because there is such a tendency in the human heart to, first of all, create God in our own image. We create the Jesus we want, we create the God that we want, and we create the will that we would like to have. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've, we've got to bear that in mind, which is why um, there are some things God has put put in place that if you will observe them they will help you to check your inner navigation system uh, against what God seems to be doing and if necessary to make some corrections so that at the end of the day we are actually you know we, we're locked into to where God is leading us so a little story on that a couple of examples um, we we set out for a day uh, at Brimham Rocks um, the, just before we went off to this trip to America. And um, it was very interesting because um, several weeks before I had a dream. I've been having, having quite a lot of prophetic dreams and, and seeing things, which, you know, again, I've told you that a lot of that has laid dormant in me for a long time um, for many reasons, which, you know, it's not the time to discuss that. But it's like, it's like something in me has come alive again on the prophetic edge. Um, and we, we were joking last Wednesday about the fact that when I said that, you know, somebody clapped. And I, I realized listening back to the, uh, you know, to the broadcast that, that I'd said you might not want to clap and realized that could be taken the wrong way. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't meant as a put down. Uh, it, was meant, it was meant as, um, you know... When the prophetic's at work, it's not always something that necessarily, as it is unfolding, 
you know, is clappable in one sense. It's like, you know, so we were talking about the nervous clap. Hey, God's moving. Um, and in some ways, that's how it should be because we're being drawn on to something more. We're being drawn further. And so, um, we, we, I have this dream. And um, in this dream, um, it's absolutely as clear as day. I am at the junction in Nesborough where it's like a, it's like a fork in the road, but it's kind of flatter. And, and, and one side takes you off into the Dales to Pateley Bridge and, and all up there. The other one takes you through whatever that other place is that's before you get to Harrogate. That funny place with the, with the level crossing. Starbeck. Um, so in this dream, I'm at this crossroads and, and God spoke something to me um, very clearly, which I'm not going to share with you tonight and keep you guessing on that. Um, uh, anyway, we get to this junction. So I'm, I'm kind of, it's a strange thing because it's like, I know where Brimham Rocks is, but how many others times when you know stuff and, and kind of God makes sure you don't really know what it is you know because something else has got to be learned. And I'm like, I know where Brimham Rocks is. I just do. And it's like, but where is it? So, because I'm on the internet, and because it's a Harrogate address. Like, now, what, how more stupid can you get than that, right? Brimham Rocks is a Harrogate address. So I'm thinking, well, oh, sure it wasn't near Harrogate. I was positive it wasn't near Harrogate, but, you know, I'll trust the Satan now. We'll, we'll go with that, you know. So we set off, and we get to the junction. Okay, so... So down here, you head off towards Pateley Bridge, and Brimham Rocks is down there. Satnav? No. Go through Starbeck. So he didn't have even take me around the outer ring road to get into Harrogate. No, let's go and, let's go and queue for 30 minutes to get into Nesborough. And then when we get out of Nesborough, let's queue because the traffic's all backed up through Starbeck. And uh, we thought, our, our great plan was, We'll eat something on the way. I know it's like quarter to 12, but that's all right. We'll grab something to eat. No. There's nothing, really, between here and Nesborough. And then Nesborough, it's like you've got the odd pub or two there. Nowhere to park, anyway. So it's like, you know how it is. Oh, well, we'll just go a bit further. However you've done that, just, we'll just go a bit further. So we finish up down there, Starbeck all the way. Anyway, finish up. Um, in the traffic, going all the way to Harrogate, which is, I hate the traffic in Harrogate. Night is pointless, you're right, that's a good word, it's pointless. It's like, where are these people going? Anyway, you know, Connie's, Connie's a bit of a whiz, and so she says, oh, you know, gets a phone out, got the map, uh, turn right here, then turn, so we're going down all these little narrow streets, and go down there, and takes us all the windy, so we get through that traffic, but all we do is meet the traffic further up. Uh, which is like the main road going down into Arrogate Town Centre. And I now have to get, I don't know where the heck I'm going, to be honest, because now the sat now is telling me to go back the way I came. <laughs> so anyway, we spot, we spot a place like a hotel pub. We'll go and eat there. So I wing through the traffic, try and find a way to get over there, through all these little narrow one-way things, nowhere to park, find somewhere to park, and it's been shut down. So it's now about 1.15, something like that. 
So it's taken us an hour, an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 40 minutes so far, right? On the road, an hour and 40 minutes. And uh, anyway, when finally this is done, it's like, well, you know, the sat-nav then says, we'll go up in. I'm like, well, we just came that way. So believe it or not, I kid you not, the sat-nav then takes us back the same way that he had taken us, takes us back through Starbeck, takes us to the junction in the dream and says, turn left. So I told you, it's Satan navigation. It's, it's, you know, so we, we've lined in traffic. You know, we've got Riley and he was good as gold, bless him. We're all absolutely starved, you know. Um, we've been on the go now for almost two hours and all we've done is made it to the junction where it's like, I knew we should have gone down there and the sat nav done all that. So of course, um, then when we get on there, what's fascinating is it's easy. So all of a sudden we've gone from everything's difficult, everything's congested, can't find any food, can't get off the road to avoid the traffic, to it's easy. We just flow down there, we take a nice little road, we find a nice restaurant that lo and behold doesn't shut, had a beautiful meal out in the country, absolutely fabulous, and found our way to Brimham Rocks where we had a wonderful time. But um, the issue to me was this, that, that, um, that there was a lesson for me because, because here at that junction, if, if, you, if you take the wrong turn, the difficulties and the obstacles and the hardships and the struggles were just incredible. And it's almost like, for me, I don't like that stuff, but it's like God was teaching me a lesson and saying, actually, you know, if you'll be obedient to what is right, not following this wild goose chase, because, well, we think it's in Arrogate, um, you know, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, but my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I will tell you what part of the other dream was, because God said to me, he said, here's the deal. It was one of those real friendly chats, here's the deal, um, you can stay as you are and where you are and be blessed, um, or you can go where I'm leading you and be a blessing, and the choice is up to you. Now, some of you might interpret that in terms of, well, does that mean stay in York, leave York, whatever, that, that in some ways is irrelevant because there is a deeper issue to that in the context of our journey and a lot of what we've experienced over the last few months has, has had a relevance in the context of us as a house. We can stay as we are and be blessed or we can go and be a blessing. We can move on. We can follow a journey. Now, um, here was Abraham's Sign, Genesis 12, verse 1. God said to Abraham, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. And then God says, if you'll do that, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all people on, on earth will be blessed through you. And then Hebrews 11, verse 8 puts it this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, notice the word later, he obeyed and went, 
even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land or the land of promise like a stranger in a foreign country. So that's saying Abraham felt like he was a stranger in a foreign country. That's what we're supposed to feel. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Why did he live in tents? Because he was meant to be on the move. All the problems start when we start building stone things and brick things. Lived in tents, on the move. As did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, not looking backwards, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That he could only see in his spirit, but his job was to follow the signposts. So, so in this process, you know, there's been lots of things. I'll just drop a few little, little things to you. Um, it's fascinating in how God has led us, even the whole thing we talked to you about, you know, our, our pilgrimage through Scott's Bluff and suddenly finding out that there is a link between Scott's Bluff and Salt Lake City, that those two things are mentioned on the monument, which we didn't know. And um, um, even little things like, like uh, becoming aware when, when we were in Salt Lake City that the, the state symbol of Utah is a beehive with bees around it. Well, we come home from, from um, this last trip and Riley started school and he has his little uniform on and lo and behold, the, the, the logo of, of Huntington Primary Academy, which he goes to, is a beehive. Just, just like the Salt Lake City, Utah State Beehive. Now, these would be insignificant to most people, but like the way all this stuff connects, the way things are repeating, it's like the signpost. It gives you the same name, but it gives you a different mileage. Okay, Same name, different distance to the destination. And... Um, you know, again, I've told you this thing about white feathers. This is, this, this is ridiculous. I feel like a complete New Age weirdo when I talk about this. But uh, it's really fascinating how at the point of, of decisions that need to be made about significant things, uh, all throughout the year, any time of year, a jolly white feather will show up. I was, I was mulling over something that relates to our journey forward, a question about should we do this, should we do this. I'm walking down our street, and right in front of me, a big white feather, just, just right in front of me, just like this. Now, again, you might think that's stupid, that's ridiculous. Signposts, they're all little signposts that that, that to me says, I'm with you. Okay, I'm just using things that are familiar to you to help you know that this is a signpost. And uh, was interesting across at Ted Hansen's, what came up again, which I would forgotten, naughty me forgotten, because it's very significant. Remember we used to talk about the icebreaker? And uh, I had prophesied over me many times about being an icebreaker, and that was, that was our role, and all the thing about it has to have a hardened nose because it's got to break through ice, and... It's a little unstable because icebreakers are unstable and they're uncomfortable and they're noisy and expensive to run um, because they have a purpose, which is breaking a path for other ships to follow. And uh, along with that, the same period, was, there were these prophecies about, about um, being the spearhead. 
And the other one that, that also kept cropping up from different people who do nothing about our story or me was, was about being an arrowhead. Now, what was interesting with the prophecy about arrow and spear was the connection that it was prophesied to me about every spearhead needs a shaft to balance it. Without the shaft, the spearhead doesn't work. So there is an importance of those who get behind you are important to the balance and the flight of the spear for the spear to go where it needs to go. And this time over at Ted's, the issue came up about the bow. You know, an arrow without a bow is useless. It's not, it, it doesn't, it, that's not what it was designed for. But the bow, which, which has to be put under tremendous tension, the bow is what launches the arrow towards the target. So the bow is as critical as the arrow, but the bow never goes where the arrow goes. But the bow actually launches the arrow to where the arrow needs to go. So this came up again, and I'm thinking, this is nothing new. This is, this is going back our journey, the prophetic input into me and, and Chris and our family and this house um, for decades. God again reminds us, signpost, okay? Signpost. And a different distance on it now, signpost. Getting nearer to what that is about. Um, and then, of course, there's the thing of, you know, Chris shared with you about the wagons, this wagon that suddenly appeared on our iPad, you know, when we were, before we went off to our pilgrimage to Scott's Bluff and, like, was nowhere in the search engine, it was nowhere on Google, it, you couldn't back button it or front forward button it to get there, it just appeared, but it, we knew what it was and where it was, and, of course, the issue of the same week I'd been looking at the wagon next to that, which we had a photograph of Connie on, and Connie was the same age then as Joel was when we took Joel to Scott's Bluff, and both of them were the same age as Riley is now. And so in the same year of that age, of the kids being four, the same things have been happening. You know, it's like, it's coming round. So, of course, we told you that story. Now, now um, of course, the other thing is uh, about the oxen, because we showed you the one wagon that had the the three yoke of oxen on the, the front that was never there before, but now it is, now the wagons are in a line. The wagons used to be like museum pieces, just stuck there side by side. Now they're in a line on the actual trail, looking as though they're going somewhere. Um, you know, and I, I hope we've got in line on a trail looking as though we're going somewhere. So we're not just side by side, we're actually getting in line to go somewhere. And of course they've added these you know, these fake oxen, which look very good, I mean, very good replicas of oxen um, on the front. And, uh, you know, again, I mentioned last week, for those of you who weren't here, that uh, a couple of weeks before that, um, Kath had been chatting to me and had mentioned Psalm 144, which was a, a major statement in, in the early part of my leadership here, which states about, you know, our sons in their youth will, will be like this and our daughters like, you know... Uh, like pillars to adorn a palace, and, 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 and it says, and, and our oxen will draw heavy loads. And Kath had mentioned this to me just before we went on the pilgrimage, where we find the wagon that Chris saw on her tab that now has oxen in front of it in a line going somewhere. Now, the other interesting thing was, I hadn't really noticed this, but studying my pictures, uh, that wagon, which is called a Conestoga wagon, is a particular design. Um, when the picture that 
Chris had of it, and I've got of it that we showed you. It's like a museum piece, so it's, it's open. But where it is now with the oxen, the ends have been tied off so that it's actually prepared to move. It's actually not in a state of, of showing off, demonstration. It's actually now in a state of movement that says the pilgrimage is on, the emigration's on, the journey is on. All these, again, signposts. Okay, signposts. Now, they are to me. If you don't think they are, then they are to me. The signposts saying, okay, this is the direction. Um, and then, of course, the ruts. You know, we saw the ruts. We can show you ruts like you've never seen ruts in your life. Ruts four feet deep, a meter deep in sandstone, worn by the constant run of the, of the wagons over them. Fascinating, absolutely. And, of course, I, I, I'd talked before we went about ruts and getting out of ruts and how it needs a special faith to get you up and over the lip. And when we saw those ruts, it's like it needs a really special faith to get you up and over the lip. But if you get over the lip, you can cut a different path and a different um, course. And of course, the funny thing of that was we sit on the plane, Chris gets out her crossword. The first thing she does on the crossword, the puzzle was deep, something deep. Yeah, deep entrenched tracks was the clue. And so the answer was ruts. So she, she nudges me and pushes it across. Have you seen what the first thing is on there? I just preached about that on the Saturday. Ruts. So again, what, what are all these things? Well, nothing. No, they're all signposts. You know, a signpost after all is just a stick in the ground with a pole, with a pole in the ground with a stick on it. To the casual observer... But to somebody on a journey, it's not a pole in the ground with a stick on it. It's something that's critical and important because it's a marker point on a journey that's encouraging you to go on. So, you know, that, that, was, um, that, that was interesting. And there's, there's just so many more little things like that, that that we could share. And, you know, I'll, I'll let Chris tell you about one in a, in a minute because I think that's also an important marker. Um, the one last thing I wanted to say about that without just telling you more of these stories is that um, I also talked, just before I talked about roots, about, about altars and, and the altars, what altars mean and building altars in our lives. And uh, it reminded me that we should remember on the way to build altars and celebrate the journey. We, we often forget. And if you look at the journey of the patriarchs, they built altars, not because they were terrified of God and saying, oh, I better, you know, I better appease the anger of God. They built altars as marker points to say God was with us here. And, uh, and, and we must never forget that. And so you see, them, you see them often journeying back to these altars as a reminder to say, do you know what? We have to remind ourselves God was with us and God is with us. And sometimes God brings us back to these memories to show us that God was with us then and God is with us now. That he didn't let us down then and he won't let us down now. That he loved us then and he loved us now. He loves us now. So I wanted to encourage you that we, we, we remember to visit some of the altars that, that have been special to us, that God has built through us and for us. And in us that said, Do you know what? This is not the end of the story. These are marker points along a story that are taking us somewhere, somewhere wonderful. So they should be points of celebration and we should have hope for the present and faith for the future. 
um, because an altar is a memorial to something. It establishes how we have determined to remember that something, and it's a place of recollection and reflection, and I believe we don't build enough altars of the right kind in our lives because they then become the sacred spaces and places where God met us and where we meet God. So I've been visiting some of the altars of my life that just remind me. They just remind me. And part of our Scots Bluff trip was God taking us back to altars that were burnt, built just to remind us. I spoke, you listened, you acted, and together we did something. And I'm still with you. I'm speaking, you listen, let's act, and together we'll do something. So uh, I wanted to share these things just hopefully to, to encourage you um, as to what's actually happening because in, in a prophetic time, which I believe we are, um, that's one of the major significant things that happen is, is, is the visible signposts, okay? Visible signposts that we have to understand are all extremely significant. John Atom today was significant, it's a signpost of, of, of something done, something released, something given that's saying to us, hey, you know, it wasn't a waste of time. You, you, you haven't missed the way. You know, people's lives have been touched and are being touched and will be touched. And uh, I'll finish my little bit before I want Chris to tell you this little story about a young lady called uh, Bev, Bev Daniels, which is just, again, another amazing signpost in... in, in uh, in our lives. Um, when, when Paul Scanlon was going through this stuff and he's watching, he's watching the congregation get smaller and smaller every week and, uh, you know, the, he, he's feeling a lot of the feelings that one feels when that's going on, you know, all the questions and... Uh, um, and um, God said something to Paul that was very clear. He said, if you will go after the people that nobody wants... I'll give you the people that everybody wants. That's what God said to him. If you'll go after the people that nobody wants, I'll give you the people that everybody wants. Uh, mostly now in, in Life Church, Bradford, what most outside observers will see is the kind of people that they would want. But those people are there because of the people who were part of the issue that nobody did want and that's part of our journey that, that's part of our journey of grace and of love and of kindness and I'm claiming the same promise I'm claiming the same promise that if we will grab the heart of God in touching the people that nobody wants um, and the truth is Beth will tell you nobody wanted the kids that we were having here on Friday nights nobody wanted them that was the question to Beth why do you let them come if we'll keep reaching people that nobody wants, God will give us the kind of people that everybody wants. Um, but hopefully that won't stop us going after the people that nobody wants. It just encourages us to do that more. So the kindness of God can reach that. So, so there you go. You know, be, be encouraged. We're, let's lift our spirits for the next part of this journey and look at the signposts that are saying, okay, point, it's not a destination, it's a direction. And we're getting lots of direction at the moment, so I want to encourage you with it. And, and this is just another example of that that I want Chris to share about, uh, about Bev. Yeah. 
that's what happens with me. Hello. <laughs> um, when Anne asked me to share this, I wasn't even sure um, how to apply it, but then we'll think about that as we go, shall we? Um, it was interesting, though, as Anne's been talking, um, whether we like it or not, the familiar, we, are re we, we, we get so attached to it that when we consider doing anything differently, it all sounds very exciting until it has to be done, isn't that? That's the truth, isn't it? Um, and we all like the sound of Abraham getting up and going to this land that God would show him, but I'm not so sure any of us would be as uh, ready and, and willing, especially if we had to have a tent, you know, especially <laughs> in this day and age. You know, if we could have lovely home comforts and we could have, you know, five-star hotels on the way and swimming pools and, you know... But, you know, if you're in a tent and you're having to prop your tent and you're in the desert and you don't know where your next meal's coming from and all that, you know, you know what I'm saying? And that's why the whole thing of the, um, the trails impacted us so much because you have to put yourself back in the context of it, not just look at it with sort of dreamy eyes uh, in, in history and go, oh, isn't that fantastic? And like Anne says, you know, we're in, a, in an incredible open-top sports car bombing along at 80 miles an hour when they were probably doing, managing 15 miles a day. Um, you know, I, I'm just sort of, again, just opening your minds to it. So I, I know for a fact that, um, you know, I was 58 just a couple of weeks ago and um, I know that a lot of things were handed to me that at the time, were, it was great. It was just second nature. That's the phrase that we all use, it's second nature. And then all of a sudden, those things didn't seem to hang together anymore. And it was a bit like God saying to me, get up and go to a land I'm going to show you. Um, leaving the familiar. And, and there's a, I, I tweeted this just the, the other day. And it, it, it something I've had for a while. But it's this. It takes a lot of courage to release the familiar and seemingly secure, to embrace the new but there is no real security in what is no longer meaningful. That's scary, isn't it? Because we'll always try and make it meaningful. <laughs> we'll always try and make something, oh yeah, it's meaningful because it feels comfortable, you know. It's like the old shoes in the back of the, the, the cupboard that are raggy, but we still insist we're going to wear them, you know. Um, there is more security in the adventurous and exciting for in movement there is life, and in change there is power. But of course, we're not all uh, lovers of change, are we? You know, oh, change, great, ooh, scary. Um, there was another thing as well that um, uh, I saw the other day, which I wanted to, if I can find it. Oh, this is awful. I had it all sorted and now I haven't. Anyway, the point, I'll just tell you while I'm trying to find it. Um, a, card, a guy called, Day, I think it's David Haywood, I follow him on Twitter. Can I have your water, please? Because I'm going all dry. Follow him on Twitter, and he's a cartoonist, but he's a, a, a Christian cartoonist. Oh, and it was so funny, because there's these two sort of funny stick people talking to each other, and obviously one has just joined the church, and this other one's got a box, and he's basically saying, and now you've joined the church, here is the box... Um, from which you will never move out of 
as long as you live. And I thought, whoa, isn't that interesting? Here is the box, which now you'll not go outside that box as long as you live. And I thought, yeah, how much was that my experience in this context of what I was handed? I happily took the box and I happily lived in it for a very long time. And there was many things I wanted to question, but I didn't dare or what have you until obviously you, you are forced out of your comfort zone. And it's a little bit like the Eagles, isn't it? You know, we love the story of, uh, you know, the mother eagle pushing them and pushing them. But heck, those little chicks have never flown. They haven't been taken out for a little test flight. There's no such thing. The mother just nudges them and nudges them and nudges them until finally they're out. And it'll, it, they'll either fly or they will plummet to the ground. Fly or die. You're absolutely right. So... I think like, you know, with Abraham, that's the sort of thing that, uh, that happens. Now, Anthony was talking about signposts, and there's, there's loads of them, but what's really been amazing for me is, is what's happened with me on Twitter, because um, I'm one of these people who, if somebody follows me, um, I think, well, I don't know how come you're following me, you know, I, but I, I press on them and have a look at what they're doing. Do you, do you do that with your Twitter? Have a look what they're saying. Go down a few. See, see what's going on. And um, a few months ago, um, somebody had s said something, and I was desperate to um, reply to this, um, and I wanted to quote the, um, the statement that Luther said, and you see, I even struggle now to remember it, it's the one about mischief, and Anthe uses it regularly, about when you mix the law and the gospel, um, it, it creates more mischief than a mind's man can handle. Now, I knew that that was sort of it. But I'm thinking, I need to find this. So I put into Google, uh, Luther, mischief, because <laughs> that's what I do, you know, and I'll see where, where you end up. Anyway, this huge sort of thesis came up. Uh, and of course, it was quoting Luther. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, oh, hey, this is good. This guy was really understanding what Luther had got hold of. And I'm thinking, oh, this is lovely. So anyway, I I got the, um, the, the quote that I wanted, which I was going to tweet, but then I thought, I need to find where this person's at. So I looked right down to the bottom, which was like loads of pages, and uh, I saw his name, so I put it into the, the Twitter search, and it comes up, and guess what was at the top of the, the header picture? It looked exactly like Scott's bluff. Now that was a bit, hang on a minute, that's just a bit, I showed you, didn't I, Dave, in the office? It was like Scott's Bluff. It wasn't Scott's Bluff, so don't get me wrong. I'm not making things into things, but it looks so much like Scott's Bluff. So I thought, right, I'm going to tweet him. Hey, love the header picture. Can you tell me where it is? It looks like Scott's Bluff, Nebraska. He comes back straight away, says, very close, and left it at that. And I thought, I want more than that. I want to know where it is. Very close. Give over. So I just pushed. I says, sorry to bug you, but I really would like to know it. He says, it's Kimball. Now, you, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, the road between Scott's Bluff and Kimball, which is about 30 miles from Scott's Bluff, and there it was. Now, you might say, well, does that matter? Well, to me, it was great because I am looking for this information about the mischief between 
the, the law and the gospel, which is really at our heart, heart of what this is all about, making sure we're taking, you know, the myth off the street. Do you remember last Easter? And of course, when this comes up, that's at the top of the page. So, I mean, that, that to me was great. And just to give you another one, um, the other day, somebody followed me and uh, most people would probably just deleted it straight away because it's atheist punk is real. That's his title. And the picture has got more, um, not just piercings, but these studs in his head. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable, the picture. And I'm thinking, ooh, you know, how, how has he got me? What, what have I said that's made him follow me? You know, you think, weird. And I thought, oh, well, all right, then I'll have a look. So I go on his, uh, his site and I'm going down. And he is all the time. He must, he must send out 100 Twitters a day. And it's all about going against religion that is, is so um, oppressive and so this, that and the other. But that's not my point because what happened was I came to this one tweet and um, I, I looked at it and I thought, it said ex-Mormon. And then it said um, lost Mormon. And then underneath it had another name and it was, um, I, sorry, I'm, I'm going from memory now, um, it was the name of Joseph Smith's wife. Now, Joseph Smith was the founder of the Mormon church and it was her name. And I'm thinking, this is a bit odd. So we've got atheist punk Israel. Then all of a sudden having all these different people following him about Mormonism. I'm thinking, this is weird. What's this all about? So anyway, I then pressed them. I don't know whether you do this. Is this this? Am I a bit nuts or what? Do you do it? Yeah. So I press on them and go and see what they're saying. And I am not kidding you. All of a sudden, I'm in this world of what Anth talked about when he said he'd gone to Salt Lake and he felt that there's this whole bunch of people who are ex-Mormons who are suddenly so upset with their lot and the oppressive nature of the religion. And suddenly, I've got all these people. And so what I did, I pressed them all. I'm going to follow you all. I'm going to see what's going on. I'm seeing what you're saying. So now, oh, nearly every day, it's really quite difficult to follow. And I'm, I'm going to have to thin it out a bit. But the, the, there's all this. Every day, all these people with what they're saying about the, the, the things that are upsetting them. And I'm thinking, do you know what? This is interesting. Then all of a sudden, what flies up onto my page is the tattooed Mormon, the tattooed Mormon. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but for Mormons to be tattooed is not acceptable. But all of a sudden, there's this woman who's head to foot covered in tattoos, who's out there preaching the gospel. Now, I say that because I'm not going to judge her. She's preaching the gospel. But then I'm suddenly finding all the stuff that she's saying. And I'm thinking, do you know, this is just too weird. So anyway, you might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? I'm just letting you know that this is, these are the signs. Something's happening here. Something's happening. Anyway, let me, let me have a look because I was going to um, tell you something else. Where was it? He only said I was doing this before uh, I walked out the door. So anyway, um, right. Uh, Anthony said something at the beginning and it stirred something in me. And I think it was Jim who said it many years ago. He said to Anth, I think, I think it was you, so we'll soon find out, won't we? He said, don't be concerned about the bleating of the sheep, 
but be more concerned about the beating of the shepherd's heart. And I've never forgotten that, and it's been very much uh, a part of the journey because you can get to a point where the stuff that's going on in your heart as leaders um, can be so, you know, different and new that you get so, much, so concerned about the, the, the bleating of the sheep. Now, I don't mean by that complaining. I just mean the needs of the, the sheep, the, the, the needs of the flock, that you actually can decide to compromise what you need to do for yourself. And, you know, if, if there comes a point where you have to say, which would you choose one or the other? Obviously, that's when it becomes really a, a, a hard thing because you have to say, am I prepared, like Abraham did, to say, I'm going to get up and, you know, go to the land that I'm being shown without any understanding of what that meant or the price or whatever. But anyway, that, that came to me and I thought, it's right to bring that back tonight, just to remind us, because that's another signpost as well, even in the, the, the courage that we've got to have to, to, to boldly go. Um, that's interesting as well, because that came up, and this is what Anth wanted me to tell you, you know, the Star Trek... Um, uh, thing was, you know, boldly going where no man has gone before. Um, and, and I mentioned that because um, the story Anthony wants me to tell you is um, about every year, sometimes it's a little bit longer than a year, but it's, nearly, it's about every year, um, we, me and Shirley, <laughs> we get a, a connection with, with a girl called Beverly Daniels, and I know Maggie um, Farrell remember Beverly um, she was actually a horror in Star Trek when we did when we did it all those years back, and um, she loved it. And uh, you know, she was part of us for a, for a little while. Anyway, oh, it's hard to tell you the story. But anyway, Shirley had mentioned to me last week that oh, I, Beth, uh, Bev was in touch with me, and I says, oh, was she? I said, uh, you know, she hasn't phoned me for a while, and. Uh, the last time I'd heard anything of her was through another friend who she originally worked at CNA and I worked at CNA and this other girl who worked at CNA and, uh, you know, she heard that she wasn't doing so well. And uh, anyway, cut, cut the story. Um, Shirley had heard from her and went to see her in Filey and had met her this, that and the other. So I said, oh, well, you know, I'm just waiting for my phone call now. Well, anyway, it happened... She, she only ever calls me in the middle of the night. She ne and when I say middle of the night, I mean middle of the night. It's two o'clock or, or three o'clock in the morning. And it's usually because she's got herself really drunk. And when she's really drunk, of course, everything becomes either too much or she needs to contact someone. So anyway, the phone rang two o'clock this morning. And of course, it just totally doesn't it, when it rings in the middle of the night. And um, for about 40 minutes, uh, it, it's a strange conversation because you're not just talking, you're trying to make sense of what she's saying and, you know, she's, it's quite dramatic and then she'll cry and then she'll crack out laughing and then it, it's quite an interesting conversation. But the thing was, she's, she's saying to us, she's saying, and you know, she says, you know, I'll never forget you and I'll never forget the Rock Church because it's you, you know, you, you brought me to Jesus and I'll never forget Jesus, I'm never going to go. This is a constant way she's talking. And um, she's, you know, there, there is, 
terrible difficulties that she's going through and um, that's part of the reason why she rings up and she wants that, that help. Anyway, so, something occurred to me as I was sat there tonight. It was how then she started saying, she says, and I need the tube, I need the tube. And for those of you who don't know, the tube was a, a stage play that we did in 91. It was a long time ago, wasn't it, the tube? She says, and I need the tube, I need the tube. I said, what do you mean you need the tube? She says, I want it, I need it. And I said, well, have you got um, a, a DVD player? No. I said, well, have you got an old video player? No. I said, well, then I can't help you, really. I'm trying to figure a way to help her. She said, I don't know about you, but I've got one under my eaves. Have you got one, under, you got one Shell? So I'm thinking, well, I could get, get that to her. And then she says, and Star Trek, she says, you know what? She says, and then she started getting a little bit upset. She says, why did you stop the choir? Why did you stop doing plays? That was my life. I wanted to do plays. I wanted to do that. I love that. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting because she's sort of still stuck then. Don't get me wrong. It was beautiful. She loved it. And you could say, well, yeah, you did stop. And then I said to her, I said, well, I said, Bev, I was getting older. <laughs> I'm saying... Things change. You can't forever keep writing plays and building sets. I mean, we went on to Grotto, didn't we, if I remember rightly, and did something a bit different, but we're still creative. But you know what I'm saying? But that occurred to me, because it hadn't occurred to me at the time that it was all to do with a nostalgia, a nostalgia that she connected with and still wanted. But this was the thing. She says, um, um, uh, oh, she says, I hear a lot of people have left you. And I says, oh, yeah. I says, yeah. She says, and I don't know anybody um, who's there now, who was there when I was there. And I says, well, I says, Bev, we are talking 25 years ago, babe. You know, she's talking as though it's last week, for one thing. I says, 25 years ago. And, uh, and I says, and anyway, I said, oh, then she said, and these were very... Uh, and the, 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 it's even horrible for me to speak them out, but I'm going to be honest. She says, well, if everybody's leaving you, you must be doing something wrong. That's what she said. And uh, whew, that's hard hitting when you've just woke up in the middle of the night and you're taking a phone call and you're thinking, okay, if I'm doing something wrong, bye-bye. <laughs> that's what you feel, isn't it? You know, okay, uh, I'm not here for you. <laughs> you know, let me go back to sleep. Um, you must be doing something wrong. And I says, well, Bev, forgive me for saying this. I says, but we couldn't keep you 25 years ago because Bev was somebody who loved what it was that we were, but it was too restrictive for her lifestyle. She, she had different priorities, let's just put it that way. And she lived them. We were always here for her. She, she came and she went and she this, that and the other. But I said, so what's the difference? Either... Other people have gone because they've grown out of us or whatever, and we couldn't keep you, so actually, what's the difference? And of course, she says, well, you know, if, if I come back to York, you know, maybe I'll, you know, I'll come back to the church. And I just says, I don't think you would. And I said, I don't think you would, because for some people, some people don't feel the need this, and that's okay. But this is my point. Bev always calls me at a point where we're ready to make some sort of change. When she called me the last time, 
Well, yeah, she's only called me, yeah, maybe three or four at the most. It's always the middle of the night, but it's always when we as a church are about to do something different. And the last time she did it, you know, I can't remember the times before and what was going on, but the last time was this. We were talking about core versus fringe, and we were saying how we mustn't not see those that maybe it's not core in the body, but those who are on the fringe but still feel as though they're very much a part of us. Now, what's so funny about that was when she called us, then she, in the middle of the night, she says, I went, hello. She says, it's Bev. And I says, Bev who? She says, Bev from The Rock. And I says, Bev from The Rock? But who's Bev from? I mean, seriously, I, Bev from The Rock. Because she'd been gone so many years, but in her head, she was still Bev from The Rock. Now, when we were talking then about core versus fringe, it then obviously spurred us on to say, look, let's not differentiate between those who are butts on seats and those who are not in, but consider themselves. And, and see, that's very radical. And we've, we've continued to pursue that regardless of, um, you know, whether it's a person on the seat or whether they believe that they're part of us. And um, so anyway, last night when she was talking, um, we're again on the, on the, 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 the fringe, what's the word I'm looking for? The verge, the, the verge of doing something a little different. And there she was on the phone last night. And then there's something else I wanted to tell you, but I've got to find it somewhere. Where is it? Um, oh. oh, I've forgotten. Sorry, just give me a minute. <laughs> no, I've lost it. Oh, this was it, right. Um, we talk about transitions, um, but there's a little phrase that's come out. This, this woman um, has written a book and it's getting great acclaim at the moment and it's called uh, Love Warrior. Don't want know whether any of you have heard of it, but Oprah Winfrey's been featuring it. And of course, if Oprah Winfrey features it, it's bound to do well, in it? But there's a little phrase that she uses and it, it's this. It's, what are you doing during the during? And uh, it might sound a bit, you know, double Dutch, but it's fantastic in my head. What are you doing during the during? Because when you're going through a situation during a period of something, it matters so much what you're doing and what you're feeling. And it's what I've said about having a positive attitude. That even, you know, when we were on that road going up to, uh, through Starbeck and Harrogate, I can assure you, Anth wasn't happy at all. And, um, you know, really giving the sat-nav what for in its lack uh, its ability, and, and I mean, Garmin was going to get a right letter of complaint, you know, that can you not teach your, your sat-navs to send us in the right direction? It was almost, I've paid money for this and it should take me to the right place, you know, almost like I've been deceived here. It was, you know, really, really funny. But what are you doing, doing during the during? Because you see, when we were getting a bit waylaid, regardless of the lessons that we were learning on the way to Brimham Rocks. If ultimately you get yourself so upset, by the time you get to your destination, you're not in the mood for your destination. And um, we found that a lot in our lives that um, 
and I've said it all, I don't need to say any more, but um, what are you doing during the during? Because when you get then to your destination, um, we can actually celebrate something rather than thinking, I'm here, but now all I want to do is die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm here, but let me die somehow. So I just want to encourage you to, you know, during the during, what are you doing? And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm planning on going see, to see Bev. I said, can I come and see you? She says, yeah, come and see me. So I'm going to go and see you. Cheryl, if you want to come with me, you can come with me if you want. Else I'll go on my own. Um, I'll go see her. But at the end of the day, um, these are all signposts. You're right. And it's um, marking our way to our destination. And it takes a lot of courage. And I want to keep encouraging you to keep being brave um, because uh, it's, the, it's the sort of stuff we're made of. And like I said about that box, um, the fear is that somehow if we get out of the box, we're all going to go wrong. When actually, if we get out of the box, there's this great open landscape in front of us with so much to learn. And I think it, um, in, was it, is it wasn't James, it was one of the epistles, I'm sorry, I just thought of it, who said that, you know, basically, uh, you're small because you choose to be small because of your mind. You know, live life with arms wide open, not with a, a, a closed mind. Um, so, at the minute, um, I'm... I'm Twittering with ex-Mormons, um, atheists and tattooed Mormons. She's a woman, actually, this tattooed uh, Mormon. And uh, I'm going to see where that leads me. That's going to be fun, isn't it? So I'll give it back to you. Is that all right? Okay, let's just stand up. Significance of signposts. Um, I want us all to be able to celebrate um, not, not just the journey, because sometimes the journey is too hard to celebrate, but to celebrate the inheritance that God brings us into, and we'd like to do that together. So we all celebrate together. We go the journey together, but we celebrate together. So um, I hope you're encouraged a little bit and understand the significance of signposts, and that's where we are, and God is with us. So I just wanted to pray. Father, I speak a blessing over the house tonight because this is our house this is a house that you called us to and brought us to uh, and it is like family with all its foibles and issues but you have brought us together um, and we are under your your mantle of blessing and we thank you for that whether we see it or not we are we're under your favor we're under your grace so I pray that our hearts will find strength to go on um, but to be encouraged by the signposts which are giving us the direction, not the destination. But to know that if we follow the direction, we will always, always, always reach the destination if we follow the direction. So give us hearts like lions, I pray, Father. Give us tenacity, put some steel in our backbone. Help us to be brave and to be bold and courageous. Um, because we're probably going to find that we haven't been this way before, just like you said to Joshua. But you're leading us to a land that does flow with milk and honey. It's got provision and nurture and blessing. We, we, we want to be, we desire to be, and we are determined to be a blessing to our city and to the people of this community 
and we thank you that you are helping us and are going to help us and the end is not yet. This is a chapter in the story, but we are moving on in your name, Jesus, as we see the signs. Thank you for your encouragement to our spirit. Now we want to use that to give us fuel and strength to carry on in Jesus' name and to do all that you called us to do in our lifetime to be the word of God made flesh, to reveal the glory of the Father so people's hearts can be set free and they can also celebrate with us because we've come to the full victory of all that the resurrection was all about. So we ask this in your name, Jesus, because this is your purpose and we're in this because we're following you. Amen. 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 Well, be blessed. And... uh, We'll we'll see you on Saturday, which is also kind of a closure of that into what we're moving into. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thank you.